Um, it's good to see you. I, I, wish, I wish I was here under different circumstances, and I'm not rich. Uh, uh, but, but your pastor, Rich, is a dear friend, and oh, watch out. And I am praying for a speedy recovery, as I'm sure you are as well, and I'm grateful for all the men and the women in the church who are um, filling in for him in his absence. Uh, you're in good hands, and God has good plans. None of this surprises God, and I'm encouraged by everyone's response, especially Rich's. I was with him last night, wore him out for a few minutes. Uh, his faith, humility, willing to entrust others with work that he had been giving himself to, even uh, for uh, trusting me this week. I don't burn down the house while he's gone. Uh, listen, it's, it's hard, if I could just speak for a minute, it's, it's hard for you, it's hard for a pastor to stay home sick. It's hard for, the first time I did it, oh, cried like a baby. <laughs> no joke. I, my whole family was there, and I was home. I actually had COVID at the time, and I just cried because it, it felt like I was giving up, and, and God did a good work in my heart that, that moment as I watched the church uh, worship and celebrate the gospel together. So listen, I'm, I'm confident that God's doing the same thing here as he heals him. And I, I know you are praying for him. Keep praying for your pastors. Uh, press in. Expect good things out of this season. I hope it's a really brief season, but, but expect good things out of this season. God, God's at work. Uh, I'm confident of that. Let's, let's watch what he does, okay? Um, and, and if I could just say as well, uh, from Orange, Cal churches in California, throughout the West, uh, you're on our hearts. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's, if not all the churches this morning in the western U.S. are praying for you and for your pastor this morning. So, greetings from your sister churches and Sovereign Grace churches. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 20, the Gospel of John chapter 20. I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, that translation, continuing your, uh, your new series on evangelism, which is excellent. My passion, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and I want to answer a question this morning, or at least attempt to answer a question this morning, that every Christian must answer for themselves. You must answer this. If you are a follower, a disciple of Christ, you must answer this question. The sooner, the better. Here it is. Why do you live here? That sounds odd coming from a guy from California, but what, why? Why do you live in Gilbert? or Mesa, or in Queen Creek, or Tempe. Why, why 104 degrees? Why not Scottsdale? I don't know, whatever that, I heard this is kind of the other side of Phoenix, the, 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 the what, what do you call it, the Gilbert Scottsdale, or something like that. Uh, why, why not somewhere like Las Vegas, or Texas, or some foreign, like, un-American kind of country, or, Lord, please forbid, uh, communist California? Why not? Or Hollyweird, that's what we call it up there, just north of us, Hollyweird. Listen, I know we all have complicated stories. Somehow you found yourself here. The grass is always greener on the other side. There's a temptation there. You may or not even you may you may or may not even feel like you chose to live here, to live in Gilbert, to live your life here in this season, and you don't really even know why. But your faith, Christianity, offers a definitive answer clarifies the error. Why am I here? I, I want to take you, this is the text, I want to take you to the place where the most 
important man in history answered the question for the ten who knew him best. It was a private moment. All but Judas and Thomas were present. Christianity, all the apostles, Christianity is less than 24 hours old. And, and this is the mandate that would ultimately set the agenda for every person who followed the Savior ever since. The commissioning of the church, which spreads from Ju Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, even to Gilbert, Arizona. If you'd look with me at the text, uh, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19, I'll read and pray. Follow along. John writes, verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, verse 20, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. These are the very words of God. Would you pray with me for understanding? Father, Father, feed us this morning from your book. Nourish our souls. Quench our thirst for purpose and meaning and hope and, and, and even fellowship with you and one another like a lamp. Illuminate our path and the world in which we live, make sense of our lives. Father, I pray this morning that you would even grant peace to the one who is restless, wondering why they're here. Breathe life into cold hearts that have grown dull to your mission. May no one leave here the same as they arrived. Send your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, my sermon in one sentence. You're going to wonder why it's going to take me so long to explain it, because I'm going to say it right here. Here's my sermon in one sentence. The whole thing up front, you, the answer to the question, why do you live here, especially as it relates to evangelism, it's a play on a familiar Bible verse. You'll recognize it if you know your Bibles. Here it is. For Jesus so loves Gilbert that he sent his one and only center church to Gilbert not to condemn Gilbert but in order that Gilbert might be saved let me say that again for, amen. for Jesus so loves Gilbert that he sent his one and only and you could fill in the blank with all kinds of churches but let's say for now center church to Gilbert, sent, not to condemn Gilbert, but in order that Gilbert might be saved. Before us this morning, the text we're reading, it's an eyewitness account. It's one of only ten 
post-resurrection appearances recorded in the scripture. Everything we have read occurs, like I said, already in a private room. It's private. The doors are locked. That's how we know it's an eyewitness account. And inside are ten grown men cowering in fear. They're afraid. They're in hiding. That's what's going on. They're in hiding, which is curious. If you just think for a moment, one of the early snapshots we have of the church, day one, is the church hiding from the world. The church is fearful of the world. You might, you might recognize this if you know your Bibles. It's one of the four, perhaps five, depending on your perspective, great commission passages in the New Testament. The most familiar being Matthew 28, the, the go and make disciples of all the nations, great commission. But there are others. Luke 24 is one. Uh, Acts 1, possibly Mark 16. And then there's our text, John 20. All of which, all these uh, occur post-resurrection. All of them are to groups of people rather than individuals. And all are delivered by Jesus himself. That when you stitch them together, right? Watch. When you stitch them together, these four or five great commissions, plural, each with their own nuance and acts and fill out for us the mandate for the church and all who follow Christ for all time. A mandate which states in no uncertain terms that not only have we been crucified to the world, we're dead to the world, crucified with Christ, but also that we have been raised with Christ to new life for the purpose. Here's our mission, the, great, the greatest commission, to be sent back into the world as ambassadors, you're going to hear next week, of Christ, that he might save more people like you and I. As Christians, listen, we're not of the world, right? John, right? We're not of, but sent into. And the emphasis actually in that text, if you know that, is on the sense. We're sent into. Because to be a Christian, to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, is by definition to be a person who exists in this world and in this time to make more Christians. Unapologetically. We exist to make more Christians. To multiply. And, and then that begs the question, if there are four or five of these great commissions, and they all say the same thing, what is it about John's articulation and his record of the Great Commission that adds to our understanding of our mission as it applies to your congregation, as individuals, to your lives, as families and households, to state it again, as only John does. This is John, uniquely John, as he says it, as I began, for God so loved Gilbert that he sent his one and only center church to Gilbert, not to condemn Gilbert, but in order that Gilbert might be saved. Did you see that? in our text. didn't say it like that, but look with me again. Verse 21. It's right there. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. And here's what he says. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And how did the Father send Jesus, you know the text, it's earlier in the Gospel of John. John recorded it for us, John 3.16, right? It'll be on NFL games in the crowds all day long. Earlier in the same book, for God so loved the world, here's John 3.16, 
that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen. Listen, God, you asking the question, why, why am I here? It's my purpose. Why? Why Gilbert? God has sent you here to Gilbert, although you are not any longer of Gilbert for the sake of Gilbert. Feel, feel the, the dignity and the urgency and the responsibility as a church. You can do something I can't do. I live in Orange, California. You've been sent to Orange, California. I can't, I'm not sent to Gilbert. Feel the, the dignity. This isn't a program of a church. This, is, this isn't a bold plan for 2024, though you can work on evangelism and pray for evangelism and pray that you would make disciples. Yet, listen, you are the very means yourself to which Jesus has planned to continue his redemptive purposes even to the ends of the earth, which includes Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, uh, Andreas J. Kostenberger, he's a a scholar with an umlaut in his name, so you've got to pay attention. It's, he says it this way, being a Christian, I hadn't seen this before, being a Christian is defined in Jesus' post-resurrection teaching. So Jesus' teaching after the resurrection, to be a Christian after the resurrection, how does he explain what it is to be a Christian after the resurrection, which by the way is where we live in, on the timeline. Being a Christian is defined in Jesus' post-resurrection teaching as obeying the Great Commission. It's the mandate. It's the mandate that defines the very existence of his followers. We join Jesus in his mission, which is the focal point of all of human history. And in an act of, you might say, wonderful uh, condescension, the mission of the exalted, risen Jesus is carried out through us, you and I, his followers, the church, each and every one of us. We who believe have been swept up into his redemptive purposes and plan, co-opted into a mission. That's what you've been ransomed and rescued to do. Now to bring him glory by reconciling the world to himself, that he might be Lord of all. We sang that this morning. That's why we exist. You have been sent to Gilbert, whether you realize it or not, you're here this morning. You have been sent to Gilbert by Jesus that he might save some in Gilbert. Now let me show you from the text. Let me show you from the text. It's beautiful. Following, following the, the flow of the text, point number one of three, we're sent on his mission. It's, it's his mission fundamentally, not our mission. We are joining him in his mission. Verse 20 again. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. <laughs> then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. No, no explanation how, God, how Jesus got into the room, okay? No explanation how Jesus got in the room, only that prior to his arrival, they were fearful alone. Now they're with Jesus. Now they're glad. It was truly Jesus. He showed them the scars, verse 21. Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. It, John, you almost catch it, John, saying, it's like a, a word spoken twice, infinite meaning. Doubling down, peace, peace between us and God. Peace between 
us and one another. We, that's how we open the service. Peace between us and our very own souls. You want to sleep at night? Here's the answer. No condemnation. No war with God anymore. No wrath. Only rest. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me even, so I am sending you. It's his mission. Keep in mind, this is the incarnate Son of God. All right? On his way, returning to the Father after suffering a shameful, painful, criminal, humiliating death. The atonement is complete at this point in the, in the timeline. It's finished, yet no one is aware of his impending departure more than he is. He will soon be seated in heaven beside his Father. And so he commissions the ten, and us, we're in view here, he commissions the ten to imitate him, to follow him. Their, their sending will be like his sending. Our mission will be like his mission. It'll take on a cruciform shape that we are ambassadors taking up our cross as he has taken up his cross as he did for joy so us as well for the same joy he, he prays that in John 17 which is so curious the high priestly prayer God talking to God Jesus three, it's three chapters back there uh, he, Jesus prays but now I'm coming to you in these things I speak in the world he's still there that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And remember what he says? He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That could be disappointing. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus never prays. Here's a bold statement. Jesus never prays, Father, take my people out of this God-forsaken place, this awful world. No, he prays instead, keep them safe. Because I'm sending them. Listen, so much, so is your purpose in life designed to complement and imitate? This is what we talk about when we're talking about evangelism. So much so is your purpose in life to complement and imitate and, and display his purposes that Jesus was going around saying crazy things like, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. You and him. Now one. Je Don't mistake what I'm saying. Jesus is the ultimate sent one. Right? The Father sent him. He was sent to do what you could not do, what I could not do, no one could do. Not for ourselves, not for our spouse, not for uh, our families, our children, not our church, our neighbors, our co-workers, not for the world. There's nothing you can do. Your, yeah, but yet our role in God's mission is in direct continuity with the mission of Jesus himself. The followers of Jesus are sent by Jesus into the world just as God the Father sent Christ into the world. We form a continuation. Initiated by the Father, who's, who's a sender by nature. He's a sender by nature, sending Jesus in order that he, Jesus, might save someone out of the world some out of the world. And when I say the world, listen, if you're confused by what the world is, because we all live in the world, right? By the world, I'm talking about the total, the totality of fallen mankind, the great mass of all humanity, whether they realize it or not, whether you realize it or not this morning, that is warring against God. That's the world. The countless number of people perishing today in Gilbert, Arizona, living in darkness, clueless, 
in some ways, clueless to the consequences of the way they're living and their posture towards God. Yet we read Jesus was sent not to condemn them, but rather rather that some of them would be saved by him. And we're not him. And I I know you have complicated stories. I, I do as well. Not all of you intended to be in Gilbert. I'm, I'm sure someone found themselves here. Your parents drug you here to the city, whatever it is. You were born here. It might not have been your choice, and you may be hoping to leave Gilbert, Arizona, as soon as possible, and I'm not arguing against you leaving. God calls some of us to leave our homes for all kinds of reasons. And if, and if your history as a local church is anything like our history in Orange, California, particularly between somewhere like 2020 and 2022, something like that, uh, we'll, you will be known as we are m- more for those you send than you keep. However, listen, this much is clear. No, no, matter, no matter how you arrived, this is your answer. You're here because the Son of God sent you. That's a fundamental reality about who you are. You're sent. Each and every one of us. Many of you for your entire lives, right here, we call you out in Orange, California. I don't know if you know this, you probably do. We call you zonies when you show up and you vacation in Orange County. And you're zonies, not to condemn Phoenix, Arizona, but so that some of Phoenix might be saved. Like Jesus, you're the fragrance. It's his mission, but you're on it. Like, like You are like the fragrance of forgiveness everywhere you go. The Paul, Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, but, but thanks be to God, you know this text, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. We're victorious in him and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God, among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing. You, you can't retire from this. If you're older, I can't, be, I can't compete with a 90-year-old, 90 birthday this morning, but you, if you're 50 or 60 or 70, you're, you're imagining you're going to retire, just pull up the back chair in the back of the room and just watch the rest of us Go at it. Listen, you can't retire that you, you don't. The ministry and mission of Jesus defines every ministry and mission of every Christian every minute and of every day, of every month, of every year until you meet your end or the world meets its end. This is our calling. Practically speaking, the sooner we embrace it, as so many of you already have, the sooner your life, with all of its surprising twists and turns, and even your weird neighbors will make sense. For only you can do, along with other brothers and sisters making up other churches here in this geographic area, only you can do what you can do. I'll be gone this evening. It's 71 degrees right now. Watch, I'll come back. That's the problem. Uh, Gilbert's your neighborhood. It's your neighbors. It's your world, not mine. For Jesus so loves Gilbert, 
your city, your neighborhood, your schools, your cardinals, uh, and clubs, and workplaces, your ASU, your Grand Canyon University. He loves all the people who call this place home in such a way that he would send his son that, listen, he gave his, as John articulates, gave his only you. As Jesus sends you, as the Father sent him, this church, that whoever believes in him, not you, who you proclaim, should not perish but have eternal life. And there's the kicker. This is so important. I know you heard this last week. For Jesus did not send. Here's the mission. That's his mission, but it's become our mission. For Jesus did not send Center Church to condemn Gilbert. That's not your job. But in order that Gilbert might be saved through him, Jesus. Why do you live here? Why here? Listen, the answer works every time because Jesus loves Gilbert. It's his mission, which has become by grace your commission. Number two. Second point, looking further into the text. We are sent under his power. It's not your power. It's, it's his mission. It's his power that will enable us to accomplish his mission. Verse 22, if you look again, John writes, verse 22, And when he had said this, Jesus, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So on the very, on the very day of his resurrection, he came to his ten closest companions as they were figuratively speaking, imprisoned in their own fear. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As one scholar writes, listen, as we says, the very first thing Jesus did immediately after he was resurrected from the dead and united with his followers was to pass on to them as a gift from the Father the same power by which he lived, triumphed, and broke the bands of his own human limitations. Listen, Jesus, in his humiliation, was fortified and energized by the continual infusion of the divine power from the Spirit of God. And this breathing here, it was like, a, it was like the washing of the disciples' feet. He's, he's acting out a parable, teaching and prefiguring. He's pointing to something that's going to happen after his ascension. Why? Because we are in desperate need of his power. Desperate need of his power if we're going to participate in his mission. People don't go. I don't know if you experience it. I tell my dog, go. Go. Go outside. Whatever it is, go inside. He doesn't go. People don't go. Naturally, we stay. Isn't that true? We like to hide. We fear. We're about protecting and hoarding and preserving. But Christian, Christ, Christians say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Why? Because Christians are empowered by the Holy Spirit. These Christians are breathed on by God. It's the promise straight out of Acts 1. The beginning of evangelism, Acts 1. But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This power is the power that leads to multiplication. You want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the, the even spiritual gifts, just the empowerment and manifestation of the Spirit in the church. You're thinking evangelism. This is the power that leads to multiplication. It's what drives a mission. It's how disciples are made. We are naturally, listen, I'm naturally a customer and a consumer, not a contributor. How about you? I love to receive things and to sit back and watch my friends and my children work <laughs> while I take it all in. However, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you become fundamentally a giver. You become like Him. An ambassador, salt and light. You, a sacrifice. You become a sacrifice. You say, send me, compelled and propelled by the Spirit. Within you, God animating you in order to accomplish His purposes in you. Think about that. There's no... Think about this for a moment. Uh, we're a, a family of churches that believes in and is passionate about church planting. We pray about it, talk about it, meet about it. We work on it, we strategize, we ask questions, we, we contribute to it. We're about church planting. But there is no explicit verse in the Bible that commands us to start new churches. And have you ever wondered, you've been a part of a church that said, let's go send missionaries here, let's go send a third of our church over to that community over there. Well, what's the first thing I'm thinking in the back of the room? I'm sitting there going, no, no, don't go. It's really good together. What, what compels us and gives us the courage and the motive, the heart? When, when the disciples heard the commission and received the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, they immediately began to multiply. Their impulse, their impulse turned from stay to go. From what about me? Right? What about me? So what about them? What about them? That's the power of God at work in you. That's the power of God at work in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1. We identify with the world as He identifies with us. We endure hardship and scorn. We lay down our preferences and priorities. We serve. We die to ourselves and our preferences and even our security, our financial security, our schedules. We lay it all down that others might live and experience what we have experienced. You, you can love the world the way Jesus loved the world and still was hated and not respected if you are under the power of the Holy Spirit. You can say no to a job. Listen, this is implications here. You can say no to a job that pays more money but robs you of the time with your neighbors and your family and your children under the power of the Spirit. It's not a good financial move. You could choose to invest in relationships with people that don't entertain you. That don't entertain you, but rather require effort and patience and forbearance and thick skin because the people are needy and difficult and not like you. They're hard to love. You could do that because you're under the power of the Holy Spirit. You can trust Jesus 
when it begins to feel like your church or your friends or your family is being exposed to the world in unhelp, you're at risk here, they're among us, the world is creeping in and getting close, and you feel like it might be that your un- these unbelievers, these people that don't love God but are actually warring against God and are opposed and don't even respect you for your faith, and you could be concerned, it feels like you're being exposed to them in unhelpful ways, and you might be thinking to yourself, what if all these worldly people start to corrupt us? Or corrupt my children. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise. You should be wise and careful. But the one thing that dispels fear when you lay down your life, on, you put it down on the line, is power. An abiding power. There is power for us to engage the world in a meaningful manner and not, net, not, yet not be overcome by it. I love, this is why I love John 20 and this gospel commission because it's most like continuationist or most charismatic of all the gospel, great commission passages. Allow God to breathe on you. And your posture, your heart, your courage, your calendars, your checkbook, it will no longer be one of fear. But faith and boldness, courage. From what about me to what about them? That's what a life looks like when, when joined to Jesus is missing. And then receiving the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you as you live for the salvation of Gilbert. Number three, last one. We're sent on his mission under his power. Number three, with his gospel. With his gospel. Look at verse 23 again with me briefly. This is the best part. If you, this, this passage might have confused you many times. I got all kinds of passages that I say, just like we heard this morning. That was excellent. I know it. I believe it. I think I understand it, but I don't really get it. I can't explain it. But here it is. Verse 23. If you, and, and Jesus is speaking to you, the church, the disciples. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is is withheld. Listen, you and I, let me clarify this for us best I can. You and I have been sent to declare God's forgiveness. It's a huge word. Forgiveness. This is our mandate. It's our calling. This is what makes our mission Christian. There are many missions in this world, things to give your life to. This is what makes our mission Christian. We proclaim the gospel, fundamentally about forgiveness for sins, to the world. It's not everything we do, but it's the most important. It's most important. It's central to everything. It's in your name. It's the one thing that only you can do. This is the one thing only we can do. Let every let everybody else have their missions and their you know, you know whatever their mission in life to help the city of Gilbert and Phoenix and to make this a better, happier world, whatever, and do all those things. But you have a mission that no one else can, can do. You and I, we, we have an authority. That's what you feel in that text. What is Jesus saying? We have this authority. It's a delegated authority to say your sins. Are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. We have an authority to say, your, your sins are not forgiven. 
We have authority to say to the one who rejects the Savior and stands defiantly trying to save themselves, you're not forgiven. Listen, this is important. If you're wondering, how do I get to say that? What, what, do I, what, what does it matter what I say? This is a delegated authority. By the time you declare forgiveness, they've already been forgiven. That's what's going on here. By the time they, that we declare forgiveness, they're already forgiven. This is why your worship services are public. This is why when you experience the new birth and confess Christ as Lord, you stand in the water and as you're baptized, you tell Gilbert that you have been united in death and life and the resurrection to Jesus. It's why you own this building and you're here on this street. It's why you live in your neighborhood. It's why you have the job you have. It's not fundamentally in principle about or even providing for your family, though it is. It's not that you forgive their sins. You're there in your place to testify and proclaim what God is doing in Gilbert. That's your authority. It's a delegated authority for you've been entrusted with that which is of first importance, the gospel. They trust Christ and you pronounce forgiveness. They hear the gospel proclaimed. They see it lived out in you. And when they respond, you proclaim. God is offering everyone forgiveness for every sin. Past, present, future, the worst, the little, on account of what his son has done. That's why, if you want to talk about who's a Christian, if you're, if, if you're not ready to receive this forgiveness or to forgive another, you're not a Christian. It can be hard, but if it's not there, forgiveness is everything. Everything about what we're doing. Feel, listen one more time, feel the dignity, urgency, and responsibility. You are engaged in the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not your agenda, and the outcome doesn't depend on us. Yet on the authority of Jesus Christ, you and I have the authority this morning to say, if you will turn away from your foolish, sinful, rebellious ways, and flee to Christ. You will be forgiven just as I have been forgiven. Listen, live in your neighborhoods and communities and school campuses and soccer practices, whatever it is that you do, wherever you shop, in such a way that the world hears you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And when they are forgiven, when they have trusted Christ and experienced the new birth, and they've been regenerated, and they experience new fellowship and reconciliation with God, you can then proclaim, you're forgiven. Join us. Join us in celebrating that we are forgiven. Listen, last comment. I have come to believe that as followers of Jesus, one of the worthiest endeavors you and I can undertake is the greatest commandment. Seriously, to learn to 
learn to be in relationship with our literal neighbors. Not just to live beside them. And this, this, this will move you from bored and ambivalent to like energized and empowered, courageous and ambitious for Gilbert. You can enter into their world and encourage them and proclaim to them that that offer still stands for them just as it does for you. And then watch. I can't do it for you. You won't love your neighbors. Listen. You won't love your neighbors in loving so much that they <laughs> that they are converted. No. You'll love your neighbors because you are converted. Because you are in Christ and you are forgiven. For Jesus so loves Gilbert that he sent his one and only center church to Gilbert, not to condemn Gilbert, but in order that Gilbert might be saved. Would you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in our life with Christ. For those of us in the room who know your Son and know forgiveness, it's everything, and this morning is just one more blessing a means of grace to celebrate and rest in all that He has done, and to fill up our hearts and our minds with the grace that we're receiving and be reminded again of it. Father, for the one in the room who's hearing it for the first or the hundredth time, but this time they're experiencing faith, Lord, I pray you would forgive them of all their sins for your Son's glory, for their salvation, for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.